Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now Treaty 7, signed in September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki, Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Okay, I'm Mekoches Ches Aki, or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My spirit name is was given to me in ceremony. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot as I'm on their lands. I'm Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, a very English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter in the Mayflower, a daughter in the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me into the land of the Hare people, also known as the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Intahe in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest. Any mistakes and misinterpretations are on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk down the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at one 242 3310. It is toll free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For non Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area. Our Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to our previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to live, or bleh. <laughs> well, there's a slip. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I would love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I have to give a shout out to my super loyal donors, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for uh, being uh, constant on that. I, I can't thank you enough for for listening in and, and giving me, you know, little messages here and there telling me you've heard this or that. I really appreciate it. So let's celebrate the fact that Greta Thunberg came to Alberta and was safe. I actually think you say it, Thunberg. Uh, so let's just appreciate she came here. Um, I had one of my friends that was up in Edmonton during the big uh, climate strike action that they had last Friday, and um, she was pretty overwhelmed with the uh, amount of power of Indigenous and the youth, so she never got to meet her, but she was super close, and that was good. I was My, my friend is Muslim, and I think it was really important for her to see the strength of uh, 
you know, indigenous people in, in a different territory as well, because we have our, our meetings here, but not everybody comes to them. So, and we try to have alliances, but there's just such a divide culturally in the city when it comes to, you know, um, indigenous being supported by non-indigenous, even if they're people of color. And, uh, and then we have our allies and they don't necessarily go to all of the other events that are affecting our other friends that are our Brown nationally, um, locally. So for example, you know, there's, there's many issues happening all across the world and it really affects our Northeast community and down at city hall, they'll have like, you know, actions, they'll have conferences and it's super exciting to be a part of them. And I, I, you know, I, I think there's been a shift in me and how to support because I know, I know to this day that there are many Muslims that expect me to come to their events, but have never understood even the land that they're on. Um, but on the flip side, there's some Muslims that really understand and can't make it to every event, of course, because as, yeah, I actually think I have to reshare that information about, um, the economic economic demographics of people based on their color of skin um at the very bottom are indigenous and then uh black and brown and um as you go up and then you know white women are below white men and like those demographics are real that's why gender equity plus budgets that i always talk about are so critical in order to try to start addressing that obvious bias that's there that's i guess not obvious to everybody else so anyway, I never, I never question why it is that a lot of the other demographics can't always support Indigenous in our actions. But um, at the same time, like I got a request from, uh, it wasn't actually to me, it was to one of the organizations I support, expecting us to come out and host and MC um, a conversation. And because they're, you know, they are a nonprofit, they expected us to work for free. And I just replied with, uh, you know, at this time, we cannot afford to do that. And uh, I know it upsets people, but you have to understand the reality. If you're truly an ally, you understand that we we don't have money. And for us to go above and beyond to volunteer to do a show might mean losing a day's pay, which is actually quite critical. And anyone who's in Alberta knows if you are actually getting paid by somebody, they look down on you for requesting a day off. And I'll give you an example. Um, I just had a small contract when it came to uh, the election. And I, I said, I stated before I even signed it, October 4th, I need off. October 4th is the Sisters in Spirit Vigil. Like the hands down, I need that off. And of course they agreed to it because they're a political organization. Well, the point is most organizations won't. So even for me, I'm in a new world of trying to figure out where to go. I'm trying to figure out, do I want to go back to private industry? And if I do, then I need to say, you know, there are days that I cannot work. Um, You know, and I think of September 30th, I think of October 4th, and I think about um, being a part of the Calgary Police Service's um, Indigenous Committee. And we always meet during the weekdays. And I'm, I don't, I just don't even know how I'm going to be able to go back into the industry knowing that I'm committed in so many other um, places that I, that I absolutely feel are more necessary than getting a monetary wage because I just know 
um, the sacrifices I make in order to make a wage will not help me in the long run with creating and maintaining relationships that I have in community. So, and I'm saying this out loud because people who are listening, who don't understand Indigenous, if you don't understand what I just said, then you need to re-listen to it and re-listen to it and re-listen to it until you get it. Because you, you need to understand that it's not just me. These are people of color, uh, brown people, black people, anyone who's not white and cis. And, and I say that because our trans folk are treated exactly the same. You're not already accepted. You're already like kind of behind the line and people don't want to accept you just simply because you're not white and cis. And that's not okay. Like we need to change that paradigm. Anyway, so let's celebrate that Greta came here and that she had a lot of support from a lot of folks. Uh, they said 12,000 people were there. 12,000 people in Calgary or uh, Edmonton marched for climate change action for the climate change crisis. And I think that's a pretty big deal because, you know, a lot of people think really lowly of Alberta and I'll get more to that later, but it does show that there's so many folks here that legitimately care. So let's talk about that. Let's break down the violence against indigenous women that's caused by not just the economic engine of the uh, fossil fuel industry, but that bigger picture of just colonialism and the assumption that you can take the land. Um, Canis Manuel out in BC has been doing these tiny house warriors um, actions for, for years. And she's the one that's really trying to protect her land from the new pipeline that they're putting in. And, and I want everyone to really listen to the terminology that's being used. When they say they want to expand the pipeline that goes to BC, in by saying it in that way, in your mind, it's, you know, a parallel pipeline that's paralleling the existing one. Undo that in your mind, because that is not the case. It is going through new territory, through different territory. It's doing that on purpose. It's doing that because it wants to establish dominance in different territories. So please unthink that. Unthink that they're twinning, unthink that they're going on the existing pipeline route because they're not. So because they're not, folks that are indigenous are like, you can't come through here. And yet the government has basically allowed this to happen. So uh, the other day, RCMP broke um, her arm and her wrist. You have to remember, she's a tattoo artist. That's her living is to do art. And they broke her wrist. And uh, they wouldn't even give her medical advice or uh, treatment at first. And it was a whole awful thing that had happened. And I can't tell you enough how helpless it is from my point of view to to watch my sister. And I, I know she may not see me as a sister, but I see her as my sister. Um, to see a sister of mine who's working really hard to maintain her culture, her language, her traditions, but her land. And... Having Canadians just be so dum 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 dum, it's okay that the RCMP is inflicting violence on Indigenous women. You don't get what we're talking about when we talk about genocide against Indigenous women. Yeah, it's right in front of your face, and somehow you just can look the other way and not see that correlation. And I, I'm so sick of it. She's literally like, I, I have neck issues because I've got rear-ended so many times. 
I can't imagine what she's going to have to go through with a broken wrist and now trying to continue to do her art on top of trying to just exist, exist as an indigenous woman on her land, living her culture. Like people don't see this and I don't understand how, and I don't understand why everybody is okay with nobody getting coverage of that. Uh, anyway, I'll go more into that later as well. Uh, I also want to give a shout out out east in Mohawk Territory, uh, Kahnesugget, uh, hunger strike. Sorry if I got that wrong. Uh, Sean Carlton is a prof out here. Um, and he was really the one who brought to light because Facebook algorithms and all of that, they stop me even from being able to see what's happening. And, um, Ellen Gabriel and, uh, she's the, the person that was at the original Oka crisis in 1990s. And, uh, we had a bit of a private message and she was very clear, Michelle, you have this day wrong. It's in the nineties. And, um, I know I've shared a lot of information about that. And I, I don't remember, you know, um, trying to miss, give any misinformation, but my humblest apologies to Ellen Gabriel for, um, giving the wrong date. It's in the 1990s that Oka had happened, uh, 1990 that Oka had happened. And, um, she was the one that led that then and even to today she's trying to bring attention to the development that's happening on her lands without their permission without like this is a continuation this is a and and it's beyond just 1990 the oka crisis that happened there prior to that for hundreds of years they've had um fights with the government on jurisdiction of those lands and um and that, that's just coming out again and, and they just want your attention. So if you can start following what's happening down there and start following her and seeing what, what is happening, you can see that the colonialism is ongoing and that that violence is happening still to our lands, taking all of the strength away from Indigenous women so that they have to be on the front lines of this. It's unacceptable. And a huge shout out to Al Harrington, who had done that uh, hunger strike for almost two full weeks. I think it was 14 days that he had done this hunger strike. And why did he do it? Was to try to bring attention. And he did. So I want to read to you, the Green Party of Quebec put out a statement. And, and this was dated on the 24th, so two days ago. Green Party of Quebec leader Alex Tyrell issued the following statements in response to the hunger strike by Al Harrington as it entered its 14th day. We call upon the government to implement a short-term, a short-term Miranda, uh, moratorium on the development of the Ganasage, or sorry, of the homelands to, and the immense, in the immediate pursuit to nation-to-nation dialogue with the people over the years, the encroachment of developers on their lands combined with a continuation of colonial policies designed to eliminate or assimilate Indigenous people and beyond have led to division, tension, protests, and now hunger strike. It is time for the governments of Quebec and Canada to enter into meaningful negotiations in good faith and reverse the colonization process that includes dialogue, negotiation, and obtaining consent from traditional Indigenous government institutions such as the Longhouse. Reconciliation is not a talking point. Apologies are not enough. It is time to take meaningful steps to correct current and historical injustices in Quebec and Canada that are rooted in racism. 
Alex Tyrell visited Al Harrington in Ganesagatik. Uh, sorry, my apologies. Mohawk territory on October 20th. He condemns the intimidation of, of Al Harrington and his supporters by the provincial police. Flying helicopters over the site of this peaceful prote- protest on a daily basis at low altitude is an unnecessary escalation. It is an act of intimidation that will be counterproductive in resolving these issues, says Tyrell. And and I shared that, and I didn't see a whole lot of likes or reshares, folks. So, like, this matters. Um, I've talked extensively about that book about policing Indigenous movements. This is just another example of that. And the Green Party of Quebec is saying it. So, like, I know for folks out there who don't care about Indigenous voices and would never share them, the very least, show your own colonial parties talking about this, because it matters. Um... So I I want to just let the Mohawk people know um, it's on my radar. I'm thinking about them too. I know this has absolutely nothing to do with fossil fuels, but it doesn't matter. It, they may not see me as their sister, but I see them as my cousins. So um, that's where I'm at. And I want everyone to know about it because it's wrong. It's an example of colonialism that continues on these lands to this day that everybody else benefits from except Indigenous people. Uh, so let's move on. A lot of people are asking me my opinion on the election, on the federal election. So first of all, I'm sure you can hear I have a cold. (laughs) I try every uh, election to have a strict multivitamins regimen. I have uh, two multivitamins um, each day during an election because um, it's so depleting emotionally and, and everything else. So but it doesn't matter. I still get sick because I think, you know, you give out too much energy and that's what happens. So since my last um, podcast, Justin Trudeau came to Calgary. And uh, of course, he did that in the hopes that would sway a lot of folks to consider voting for the Liberals. And as of today, <laughs> we know the results. And here in Calgary, we lost all of our seats. Edmonton, we lost all of our seats. So we went from the historic win of four seats, I think since like, I don't know, 56 or something, to nothing. And in fact, we really went down in the polls. And and it's hard because, you know, uh, this is why I have to step away from the party in a lot of ways. Because ultimately, even I'm losing hope as a liberal, like... We, we will never win out here. And I, I don't want to be that um, person. When I first joined the party, I hated people like me that were like, well, we'll just never win out here. So, and you just kind of go through the motions. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be that person. And for folks who are, you know, energetic and inspiring, last thing I want to do is make them feel like that's a truth. Because, you know, what happened with Rachel Notley and the Orange Crush wave, I did not see coming. And that's why I I think even for me, as much as I said, I don't know if we'll ever elect a liberal, like, I don't know what the future will bring. We might be able to. And I want that for, um, for Calgary. I want that for Alberta. Um, I want there to be a huge change in, in Alberta when it comes to possibilities. I know that up in Edmonton, they, um, had Linda Duncan and they did keep one NDP seat. (laughs) But I also wanted to bring up, um, I know a lot of Indigenous don't vote 
and they don't vote for solid reasons. And I, I shared a few of those solid reasons out there. And I even had this one troll be like, well, I thought you ran, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so one of those folks that are completely oblivious to the idea that indigenous have different thoughts and approaches and the reason why people don't vote <clears throat> wasn't willing to listen obviously has missed years of me talking on the subject about it so for those who are brand new this may be the only podcast that you listen to not all indigenous think exactly the same way you can take 12 calgarians and i promise you 12 calgarians are not going to think the same way the fact that you think that all indigenous think the same way shows your bias shows your racial bias so you need to start listening to more than just one opinion. And when I post them, I always hope that people read them with an open heart and an open mind. Obviously not. So that's fine. Whoever you are, some fake account that's kind of listed as someone northeast of YYC. Awesome. You're stalking me. Cool. I just wish you would take some time to actually read a little and, and be open-minded to listening to what people say. There are a lot of Indigenous that will never vote, and they have a great reason to. The government fucks us over all the time. There's not a single generation that the government hasn't hurt Indigenous people. I literally just talked about what happened with a broken wrist, uh, police intimidation with helicopters, hunger strikes, land theft. And so don't pretend like this is something that's, you know, years ago in the past. This is right now ongoing. Right now, somebody's wrist is hurting and healing while they try to maintain their sense of land and pride. So whoever you are, I really wish you would just be a little more open-minded. Anyway, so anyway, a lot of Indigenous don't vote. Um, and and let's, let's just take Indigenous right out. Let's just talk about Albertans. Let's talk about Calgarians. I door knock all the time. There are so many that will never vote because they know their vote doesn't matter because this goes blue all the time. And and how I, I, I challenge whoever is challenging me to be like, oh, I thought you read. <laughs> I challenge you. How are you getting that person who is at the door, who's white, has every privilege that you and I have? How... How do you motivate them to go vote? Because we have one of the lower voter turnouts, although that was a happy part of the election. For the first time in a long time, Calgary Forest Lawn was not in the top five of lowest voter turnout. Yahoo! Let's, let's take that as a win. So we did actually have a few other ridings in the country that had lower voter turnout than we did. So that's good. But it's still not great. Uh, so my candidate out here in Calgary Forest Lawn was uh, a wonderful man, or he is a wonderful man. His, he's an eye surgeon, ophthalmologist, and he does um, a ton of people from our area unnecessarily does eye surgeries because they don't have access to diabetes, blood pressure, and heart medications that if they did, they would be able to stay on top of their uh, drug regimen and have healthier eyes. So he was a big proponent of Pharmacare, and I don't know if he's going to run for us again. I wouldn't blame him if he doesn't, but um, fabulous candidate. Everyone seemed to know who he was. 
but ultimately he ran liberal. So because of that, he did not do well at all. Obviously, our guy did better than any of the other candidates. A huge shout out to Joe Pimlot, a Métis man who ran for our area for the NDP. Um, I know he had a lot of barriers and challenges that happened. He had a trip. He had he got sick. Um, a lot of things happened. But he has such a good heart and a good spirit. And um, because he's uh, Métis, obviously, it, I was struggling. Um, even my husband <laughs> struggled. And I don't want to out his vote, but... Um, I know who he voted for and, uh, it's, it's hard because, you know, I know for me, I didn't have a lot of the indigenous community come out and support me. I don't blame them. I know why. Um, I shared that article that some loser decided that he's going to, um, you know, come at me with. Well, that's an example of it. Like people don't even understand indigenous issues. They don't understand, um, how extreme and hard it is for an Indigenous woman to run, let alone twice, and yet they're critiquing that because they don't even understand Indigenous issues, let alone sexism issues, let alone, um, you know, getting support from Indigenous organiza organization is impossible under colonialism when you're worried about the police helicopter buzzing you or your people being attacked and not getting proper medical care because they're Indigenous. You just so don't get it. And I don't understand how many dots I have to put together for folks to get this. This is like, I, I wasn't raised in my culture. I identify as Calgarian, as Albertan, as Canadian, as much as I do as Indigenous. So I don't understand how there can be such a gap. Because if, uh, you know, some so-called dumbass in Indigenous woman can figure this out, then what the fuck is your problem? Why can't you put these dots together? So anyway... Um, I wanted to also mention that, uh, speaking of sexism, uh, Catherine McKenna's, uh, office had red spray paint on it. The, one of the most awful words in, can in Canada, cunt. And, uh, you know, it was such a great example of a woman being targeted solely based on the fact she has a vagina and using the most derogatory term of a vagina on, on there. So, um, yeah, I, I know people don't, understand violence against women and I tell them the start of it is the verbal there it is that verbal violence against women and it goes in one ear and out the other and again if some dumbass indigenous woman can figure out what the fuck is your problem why can't you put this together but you know and I say that tongue-in-cheek because while I've been told that my entire life I don't really care I know it's not true and I know the people who say it are just dumbass bullies who can't put together a thought and a coat and, and, and anything without putting people down. And I grew up like that. So of course I'm like that too. And I have to work every single day to undo that because of it. So anyway, um, you know, obviously the, uh, liberals won overall, they have what's called a minority government. And, um, I want to be really clear. I've kind of talked a bit about language already and being careful how you frame things. Another example of that is the media likes to use the term coalition. And I'll tell you why that is problematic. It's a whitewashed term that the media uses to make Canadians who are sheeples just feel good while they sleep. Um, it's a it's a term to make you feel like, oh, no, 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 these wonderful colonial parties have to work together, and they do. So I want to just remind everybody, this is how Harper got his majority. First, he had a minority government. 
and people fell for this stupid talking point of coalition government. And you have to stop doing that because ultimately this is like we lost the Kelowna Accord because of this. Literally lost it. Jack Layton made all sorts of promises about the Kelowna Accord, but ultimately he saw that he could win some extra seats. So he called it an election. So we're going to be back at this within two years, mark my words, and we're going to be working hard to basically have liberals either get a majority or have another yet minority. And I don't think folks understand that this could kill a lot of the reconciliation efforts that are out there, arguably not enough anyway. So, you know, please be careful about when you see that term coalition government and just every time you hear it, just think that is a nice media whitewash version of uh, trying to cover up the truth because it's not the truth at all. <clears throat> all right, let's move on. Here in Alberta, we have uh, the provincial budget came out and that's creating quite the, uh, quite the conversation here. A lot of people just turned off their social media and coincidentally... I don't know why Facebook has decided to do this, but I can no longer post on my wall. So a lot of folks can tag me and I've been letting that on my wall, but I can't actually post anything on my wall. And that's been really hindering. And I don't know if this is what people call Facebook jail or not, but I know that I can't post on my wall. So I can post on my other pages. So I have been, but it's hard because I know if I don't like I post on native Calgarian and then I share it on my wall because I know how algorithms and on Facebook work. And the more I show up in, um, on people's, uh, feed, it will show up more if it's shared more than once, which is why I always encourage people to share, which is why I notice when they don't. So here we are where I can't even share my own stuff anymore. And I'm sure that's on purpose. I'm sure that's a way to reset the algorithms. Um, I know the way their algorithms work. I've already been kind of shut out because a lot of Indigenous have gone NDP. So that changed my algorithms because um, it knows I don't want to see NDP uh, posts. So only after the fact am I seeing them, realizing. And, and like, so for example, I had one friend who was like, um, I, I don't think I'm going to vote. I don't want to vote. And some NDP supporter saw it first, got to her first. And of course, because she said it was a ceremonial sister, I wasn't going to uh, intervene. <clears throat> but ultimately, it doesn't matter because if you voted liberal or NDP in our riding, even if you added it all up, it wouldn't have mattered. So anyway, 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 I'd, and I also I didn't want to create division. Um, I thought what Jagmeet Singh went through, uh, all the racism that he was going through, he 100 percent. Um, earned any vote from indigenous people like I wasn't even going to argue that um, that what I will argue is that indigenous people don't really have a voice at policy and until there's some changes and I mean even within my own party I don't want to get too much into internal politics on on this show but even in there like they've changed the constitution so I feel like indigenous voices just don't matter anymore um, arguably did they ever, I don't know. Um, and then a change in leadership, like I had really strong leadership before and the change in leadership and trying to work within the system. It's not easy. It's not easy within a party, let alone outside the party. And then 
because of all the blackface stuff that um, Justin Trudeau went through. I mean, there's two reasons I would understand why every Indigenous vote went to NDP. First of all, because Jagmeet Singh went through a ton of racism, but also because um, Justin Trudeau's blackface came out numerous times. Um, It's not like he did it one time. Uh, You know, that said, Martin Luther King Jr.'s grandson endorsed him. Obama endorsed him. And while that helped my dad, who was like going to laugh and be all cynical, it still doesn't erase what he did. And it doesn't erase the way that the party has treated Indigenous people within the party um, as well. And it doesn't change the way I know a lot of uh, immigrants feel within the party. And anyone who sees Palestinians as people seems to have a problem within the party. So, like, there is a huge gap even within the party. We always talk about it being a big red tent for everybody. But I know it's still a white supremacist party and will always be just like every colonial party. And that's why NDPers who think they're so great, I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, um, you know, killing Indigenous people for union workers to have jobs will always be the case in the NDP. That will never change. I promise you that. And just like in the Liberal Party, it will never change either. So I love to be wrong. I, I hope to be wrong. Anyway, that's just playing stupid colonial politics. And at the end of the day, um, my brothers and sisters who are Indigenous matter more to me. And I a huge shout out to Joe. Um, one of the things that made me cry in the last podcast was the idea of what was going to go down in Cal- uh, Edmonton Centre with Kathleen, Catherine Swampy and um, Randy Bossano and as it turns out they both lost their seat so that broke my heart because both well Catherine Swampy I I can't say enough good things about her I think anyone who's met her in real life knows why I would say that but um, for those who have never met her she's she's tall she's beautiful but she's she's so brilliant Um, she's she cares about her people she cares about community she, like me, understands colonial politics needs to make some drastic switches and they can't without people like us at the table. And I, I just have so much love and respect for her trying. Um, the fact that the NDP even green lit her surprises me because I know how hard these, um, you know, getting vetted is. I don't think I would get green lit because I have so many enemies within the party that would just not ever want me to run ever. Um, so much so that, you know, and, and this is how it works. Like it is about who you know and who's in, on top. Because had Justin Trudeau properly been vetted, we would have found these brown face pictures years ago. He would never would have ran for the Liberal Party. Pierre Elliott Trudeau's son would never have been in the Liberal Party if he would have been properly uh, vetted and the green lit process properly done. But you know, we were in third party status. He had a lot of momentum behind him. He's the son of Pierre Elliott Trudeau. And nobody found those fucking uh, brown pics, brown face pics. I don't know. <sighs> yeah. So it's a, it's a big black eye. We're going to have to do some serious rebuilding. Um, even though we're in government, even though we're a minority government. Um, I hate to say it, but I, there are people in the party happy to see a leadership race now because of what happened with the brown face. And if that was any other candidate, 
there was no way that would be allowed. And if we can allow Justin Trudeau to be our prime minister and be a leader and be um, in the party, then they have to start letting people like me get greenlit because it is what it is. This whole election was supposed to talk about racism. And did it really? Because white media has no clue how to talk about this. So the only good commentary there was, was from people who weren't white on this issue. And you notice how the media has already dropped it? Of course they have, because that's how you uphold white supremacy. So all of that happened. Anyway, back to the provincial budget. I want to say this. Don't blame me. I ran Alberta Liberal. I posted that because I was inspired by somebody who was like, don't blame me. I voted NDP. And I just laughed because I'm like, well, don't blame me. I laughed Alberta Liberal. So (laughs) I ran it. I felt so passionate against Jason Kenney. I ran. So one of my tweets that uh, I put out was a series because I think, I think people have to start really challenging the narrative. Now, I will never, ever, ever work with anybody from Jason Kenney's fucking team, ever. Like, put me on the record with that. That's fine. I will never do it. And why? Jason Kenney is a part of the Harper team that absolutely went after Indigenous. So much so, it launched Idol No More. For Christ's sakes. How anyone can vote blue? Like, and I know most of my neighbors did. I, I, I can't work with that. That's why I don't see myself working in nonprofit. I absolutely cannot work with those people who will bootlick. And I I have example after example on Twitter and Facebook of all these nonprofits who have to work together now with Justin or uh, Jason Kenney. And I cannot bring myself to it. I had one of the most prominent indigenous women who hates me because I worked with Justin Trudeau bootlicking Jason Kenney's team because now it's part of like women economic uh, forum conversations in indigenous circles. And I'm like, fuck off. This is such bullshit. You can't have a double standard. You either understand why I work with Justin or you don't. And what gets me is that I have that limit where I, I just cannot work with the blue for what they've done to indigenous people. And that limit of being unable to work with me because I'm with the red team Like, do you not see how there's a correlation there? At least what happened in my lifetime, there's a reason. Like, it was recent what Harper had done to Indigenous people. But there's so many people who are holding grudges from a long, long time ago, so they can't work with me as a liberal. That's fine. Whatever. We'll figure it out. But I I just cannot work with anyone from Harper's team, and Jason Kenney is, and all of the bootlickers that are with his team... I can't work with you. (laughs) I won't be able to work with you. I know it. And here's why. Because they just continuously erase Indigenous issues. Uh, Jason Kenney is a strong Catholic. And, you know, so truth and reconciliation would actually be challenging his own religion, which he's unwilling to do. Um, When it comes to his brother is one of those people that does the uh, gay conversion therapy boot camps. So, anyone LGBTQ2 plus voting for that. Like, it, it's, I just feel sick about it. Because this isn't something historical. This is present day. This is right now. So I, I put out a tweet because Jason Kenney likes to talk a lot about how Alberta's oil is so ethical. And I know that's bullshit. So I, I put out this tweet. I said, when Jason Kenney says that Alberta oil, Alberta's oil is the most ethical, 
It's because he ignores indigenous. Look at the genocide in the National Report on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, Two-Spirit, and Trans. Look at the land theft under Treaty 6, 7, and 8, and the reports by the McMurray Métis. And I quoted that because I think a lot of people actually don't know the history of what happened in Fort McMurray. So everyone's like, oh no, it's so ethical. Do you even fucking know your history? Because clearly you don't. So I actually have... um uh. And and it was it was actually the NDP that worked at trying to bring a little bit of attention to this, but it actually never ended up going anywhere. So I I quoted this uh I, I talked about the Fort McMurray Metis land theft, and I had a friend send me a a different um a different link and it's uh herewardlongley dot com slash moccasin flats. So I'll just read to you some of the things that I had uh, quoted because I think it's really important if you're going to be talking about what's ethical and what's what you're erasing. So between 1975 and 1981, the new town of Fort McMurray collaborated with Northwood Developments Limited, a housing arm of Syncrude, to evict the Moccasin or the Métis families at Moccasin Flats to build the Syncrude Towers housing complex and a proposed marina, which was never built. By labeling the Moccasin Flat residents, the Métis, as squatters, the town used pro- property laws to justify their eviction and ignore their indigenous identity, history, and rights. The evictions fragmented the Moccasin Flat community. It had disrupted people's relationship to the land, had cultural and socioeconomic impacts, and had been a source of intergenerational trauma. So when you talk about, you know, ethics, you're already um, forgetting the genocide that's in the National Inquiry Report. You're already forgetting the land theft. You're already forgetting how the Indian Act works. But you know what's funny? They don't. And and here's what I'm going to read to you from the Ministry Responsible for Indigenous Affairs in Alberta here now. And they've talked about all the key changes that they're going to do in governance structure. And they go right directly back to the Indian Act, right in their overviews. So they have this, uh, you know, Bill 14, the Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation Act has passed to increase Indigenous communities' access to capital and technical support in investing in natural resource projects and related infrastructure. So unless you're invested in fossil fuels, they're not helping you, one. Um, And that's why on Twitter, if you go onto his account, you'll just see all these bootlicking natives who are like, yeah, we totally are all about economic investment and we hate Justin Trudeau, but, you know, we'll work with this guy. So, and, and it sucks because Justin Trudeau bought the stupid fucking pipeline. But whatever, whatever. So, divine eligibility. The Act will define the following groups for eligibility for this financial support. Indigenous groups identified by the Indian Act. So they use the Indian Act as a colonial tool to divide people. That, That was the whole purpose of it. And now you can only access some of this money if you're developing um oil and gas and if you go through the indian act the settlements um as established by the metis settlements act metis groups as defined by regulation wonder what that means um other entities approved by the minister of indigenous relations following within their mandate identities that are fully owned 
by the groups above. <laughs> so bottom line, folks, here is I'm sure even I'm uh, um, able to access those funds as a status Indian and as somebody with, um, you know, previous pipeline and uh, wells. Like, I used to be in geomatics. So what I would do is the land surveys for wells and pipelines that I used to draft those. And um, I'm been thinking about going back into the industry under the green sector of doing that but I just haven't looked into it because I just feel like I have other things on the go and I don't want to do that but anyway bottom line is is that you know I know a lot of natives nationally look down on Albertans here and that are, are native that work within the industry, but you have to understand, like we've had 40 years of this prior to the NDP government, 40 years of it. And we've always been encouraged to work with the government, work with industry within the ridiculous parameters of the Indian Act. And people just know how to make the system work. And that's how they survive because we, and you can look at the socioeconomic stats right now, you will see that indigenous are at the bottom. So even though we're at the very, very bottom, we still figure out a way to put some food on the table. So don't judge us for this. This is what we do. So I wanted to also read uh, Richard Feehan's tweet. This Alberta budget is a disaster for Indigenous people. On the surface, it's a 19% reduction to Indigenous relations. But in reality, because 50% of the budget is flowed through uh, not government money, the actual cut is 36% to services to Indigenous people. A complete elimination of the Indigenous Climate Leadership Program. 40 or 100% of it is gone. A program that was accessed by all 48 First Nations and all eight Métis settlements. It was a clear reflection of Indigenous values on the environment and now it's completely gone. And to add injury to injury, I noticed that the Ministry of Environmental and Parks have reduced the regional accumulative effect management budget by 40%. So if any nations are concerned about the effects of development on their land base, there will be no evidence available. So basically, um, like a lot of First Nations are uh, negatively impacted by development downstream from any um, development upstream. And because of that, their food is poisoned, their water's poisoned, and they, they have se severe health effects from it. And for the first time, because yeah, I talked about how the PCs were in charge for over 40 years, the NDP actually allowed there to be some sort of monies to study the health effects. And now that's eliminated. That's gone. That's what he's saying. One more thing. With a 36% reduction in services to Indigenous people, I noticed that there's no reduction in the minister's office. Zero. How can you define, uh, defend that? And then he shouts out to the new Indigenous minister for Alberta. I also want to point out that uh, much lauded Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation that is supposed to provide a billion dollars for investment only has six million in this year's budget. So that's bullshit. So let's be clear here. The UCP has taken uh, $54 million away from the Indigenous communities to use to protect their environment and has replaced it with a $5 million litigation fund so that they can sue each other if environmental concerns get in the way of development. 
I don't want to take any credit for that. That was um, Richard Feehan, the former minister and now the indigenous critic. And uh, somebody asked, 19% on the flow through and 19% on the provincial generated? And he goes, no, 19% on the total budget. But if you remove the flow through money, as it's not really government money, it comes from uh, First Nation casinos, the cut is actually 36%. So, I don't know. I think it's really important that people understand the gravity of what they voted for. Um, You know, this is why I have no problem whatsoever telling people that when you vote blue, you're voting for the oppression of Indigenous people because this is clear services that we needed. And, um, you know, diversification of of economy for the most targeted marginalized group um, in order to continue colonialism. And everyone who voted blue was like, fuck yeah, fuck that genocide. I honestly feel like, and I'm not going to lie, honestly feel there's like, we're 4% of the population. I feel like there is a good portion of the population in, in this country that feels if they would just eliminate us, then we'd be done. And they know you can through these cuts. And that's, that's the whole goal. So you guys can all try to justify to me this in any way you want to, but I know, (laughs) I know the reality. Speaking of reality, um, a shout out to the Métis Nation for hosting. Uh, It was Métis Nation um, who did the presentation, but it was actually the uh, Calgary Aboriginal Friendship Centre that brought in the Métis Nation to do this presentation on opioids. And it was designed for elders because... Um, a lot of our elders are being uh, prescribed these medications and then un- unknowingly getting addicted to something that is awful and then seeing our the kids, the youth, also being addicted to this. And of course, we're disproportionately targeted and get um, the highest death rate. So I believe obviously in first aid and um, ongoing training. So I went to it and uh, got a new naloxone kit that's uh, good to go. But I found out something that I didn't know, and that's that Narcan, uh, which is a nasal spray like, um, well, I, it's the same drug only in a nasal, nasal spray form. It's actually free for Indigenous people to get under the Indian Act. So I went to my local pharmacist and I ordered some. So hopefully I'll have one of those here shortly. And I encourage everyone to, I encourage everybody to take naloxone training. If you can have your naloxone kit. Um, One of the folks puts their kit right on top of the fridge so that that way everybody knows where it is. And if it goes missing, there's no questions asked. You just get a new naloxone kit and replace it. Um, And I encourage that for not just indigenous, but for everybody, because I think, uh, you know, this is, this is first aid that we need to be doing because we were hit with this crisis in 2015 and uh, it's not going away. The new measures to have new mental health facility beds, I think is the worst band-aid solution to cut some of these uh, service services that we have for consumption sites is a mistake. Um, it will just lead to more deaths and yeah, but ultimately, that's what people wanted. That's what they vote for. They vote for genocide. So here we are, folks. Let's just screw the people that have, um, you know, unresolved 
health issues that there's no coverage for. So with that, I will say Indigenous have been talking about these issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians in their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, which Kenny didn't, which I'm so shocked, right? Uh, If they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous health, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, know that your vote to the party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, the multiple reports on child welfare reform, the violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting, where people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, health, justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, local community sports organizations, and more. A really great article that I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Violence is just my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is why I started this podcast, to just speak freely without interruption, without tone policing, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions. As many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to give us theirs by people who know nothing about Indigenous people, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Just typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, those who are gatekeepers, those who survive off the status quo, and those who are in their trauma, and stop people from doing the good work and deplete the personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday um, reality for Indigenous people. That's why I needed this boundary as a place to be heard. I just hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future as we discuss these present-day issues in a way that they understand. I always promote cultural safety. So if you see folks who are being treated poorly, please step up. I've given out many different ideas on how to approach that. And uh, if you're experiencing emotional distress, want to talk to uh, First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, and what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for teaching me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots, and for teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through you that I am a proud second-generation Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, and the support down my journey of the Red Road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism through me. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from every day, you give me great accountability to be a better and stronger person. I want to say 
Again, a huge thank you to all of those that pledge and support Native Calgarian. Um, if you did one donation or if you've done many and had to quit for financial reasons, just know I appreciated your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I want to end by saying with a side eye to those Calgary rabbits, you're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you again for listening, folks.